This episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Kava. You'll hear more about them later on in this episode. What is up, everyone? I am Charlie Shrem, and you are listening and watching Untold Stories. I'm actually chewing a protein bar, you can't even tell. Where twice a week together, we get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, OGs, brilliant people in the room, those who understand where we came from, where we're now, where we're going, and how we need to get there to truly, truly, truly understand how this movement is changing the whole fabric of our society. And like, I really equate this to not just the printing press, but the actual renaissance. My guest today, Joseph Weinberg, you're an early investor in Bitcoin and an early uh, uh, director at Coinsetter until its acquisition by Kraken in 2016. You definitely know your way around crypto. We've been working in Bitcoin together for ever. You're the chairman of Shift, which uh, I became an advisor of Shift back in 2000. I don't even know, 17 maybe. Like what a crazy long-term project. It's so amazing to see what that has become. And now you have become a uh, one of Bitcoin's crypto's ambassadors, mayors to the world, meeting heads of state, dealing with the most toughest regulators, you know, trailblazing and being the actual one to attack things like the travel rule, which is some of the biggest impediments that we see potential to our whole industry today. So here to tell us, Joe, thank you so much for coming on the show today, explaining all of this to us. Absolutely. Good to be here, Charlie. Finally. <laughs> I know it's been it's been a long time coming, but Definitely. I should probably finish chewing this protein bar. <laughs> no Why worries. would I take a bite like as I'm about to start the in show? The, in the context, it made sense. But there's a lot there's a lot of things I want to talk about. I want to talk about mm -hmm. how decentralization is actually a, a path to it, and using Shift as a good example because mm -hmm. you know you you launched that on the you know years ago to to be on that path, realizing that in the beginning. Yeah. It wasn't going to be, and now once Mainnet was launched with a federation, including banks and, and countries themselves, um, mm -hmm. explain to us why you thought Shift would be such a perfect way to explain to uh, uh, all of these countries around the world, all of these people around the world, that, hey, you can have a, a base level where uh, you have privacy, but at the same time, we need to have permissionless cryptocurrency, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like, and I think this is, you know, I think a lot of the trials and, and tribulations of like the, the ecosystem over the last, you know, decade is like, you know, I think that like, as time went on over the last few years, we kind of started to recognize that there is a place in time for fully permissionless systems, um, which I think are like, you know, the obviously the, the most important piece that, that brings everything together. Um, but like, after you get past the base layer questions, like where humans connect, like where social connectivity actually happens, you know, there are different models that likely are required, right? Um, things like federated systems, like just new ways of building social trust uh, occurs in more places than just, you know, permissionless base layers like Bitcoin or Ethereum. Um, and so like conceptually, you know, when you're starting to look at different types of systems, whether it be an identity, whether it be in compliance, you know, these are all the realities of the world. Uh, and so, you know, when we looked at, at this problem set of saying, you know, there's going to come a point in the space where, you know, the two different worlds will start to collide, the decentralized world with the centralized world. How do you build infrastructure that can support 
you know, the incoming regulatory realities, the changing institutional requirements that exist. You know, we need systems that can still enable and, and maintain decentralization and openness and privacy, uh, but that can make the trade-offs successfully. Uh, and so that's been like the, the the thinking over the last, you know, three, four, five years. Um, and definitely when is that? Today. Let's, let's actually, let's talk about when that changed because you had mm -hmm. Bitcoin and you were very, very involved in the early days and you were very involved in, in one of the early investors in Ethereum you used to hang out in Decentral with Anthony DiOrio. The, the Ethereum was pretty much invented in Toronto where you're from, yeah. uh, Vitalik and everyone, all in these same rooms. And then we are where we are now, right? So you had Bitcoin and Ethereum. If you look at those two evolutions, those were still permissionless blockchains, protocols. And then you look at, let's just, I don't want to put like number three or number four on it. Uh, yeah. And I want to know from you where you think we are and how many eras there there are. But then you mm -hmm. look at where we are now is uh, with, with Shift. Um, you know, you, you have this, this, from what I understand, this blockchain protocol that's designed to take permissioned and permissionless chains, public and private ecosystems, and then yep. having all the data stored in like a, a one layer, one level, and then be everyone be able to opt in and opt out of, you know, whichever different blockchains they want to yeah. be in. Yeah. And it's kind of saying like, like the, really the idea is to say like every, we have these permissionless base layers, as you're mentioning. I don't think that there's going to become like, I don't think you have too many more advantages today in building more layer ones. But the reality is like where requirements meet, like, you know, people, businesses, institutions, those require their own type of rules, their own type of logic, right? And so we can deploy, you know, general purpose frameworks, which is really what Shift is, um, and these kind of like data attribution or data attestation, you know, uh, frameworks, and then start to build general purpose rules uh, infrastructure. And, and why is that important? Right? Ooh, I never it, thought important. about that. Why Do you is know that what important? I mean? Like it. Yeah. And like why it's important is because you say, listen, I have I'm a business. I do business with other businesses, maybe on behalf of users. We all have to share some sort of a rule set. You know, those could be laws. Laws are effectively a form of protocol. Right. Um, that's a traditional, you know, world uh, regulatory requirements are, are also rules. And so these are all sets of rules. We're just trying to digitize those and make them work functionally across um, you know, decentralized systems. And what does that mean? It means permissioning is a point, a part of rule sharing across groups of, of counterparties, groups of users, you know, and, and I think that these are the things that become really important when you think about uh, use cases that involve data sharing or identity frameworks, because I have to opt a user into a, a system. The system has to have a certain set of policies, a certain set of rules. Um, so it's really about, can we deploy general purpose infrastructure, smart contract based infrastructure that can allow us to create those rules and to formulate the counterparty relationships and doing all of this while minimizing trust, right? Like that's the goal is how do we eliminate this counterparty uh, trust problem that we have uh, that exists all over the world today? It seemed like when we just had Bitcoin and we had money, we had one level or one layer of trust, it was fine. And then we had yep. Ethereum, we added a secondary layer on it and it was fine to do it all on a main chain. But as we're learning yep. with this third wave, I guess, is that we need a lot more layers, a lot more base level infrastructure and a lot better communication and risk on on like risk onboarding and risk offboarding or risk hedging between yep. different parts of the chain where more security is 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 needed where sometimes it's not 
and and hold whatever because I I need to understand yeah. for myself, and I'm standing up because this is really important. So are we <laughs> at the are we at the end of this first layer era? You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just getting comfortable with investing in like protocols, platforms, and blockchains, what we call them. Yeah. Are we moving on from that now? I think so. And like, I think that there's a few reasons why this isn't critical, right? Like early adopters, we can work around the the primitive, you know, realities that we had in the space. Like, you know, like my grandma is probably not going to enter into the space and start running multi-sigs, right? Like that's just not going to happen. And so like the users are broadening and therefore like the vertical of user groups are changing. And that's like where these types of requirements become like really important is like these upper layers become really important to, you know, change risk models, understand um, the, the ways in which we interact with these systems. And that's where these like kind of, you know, constructive layers start to make a lot of sense. That's also why regulators are coming in is because of that same reality, right? Regulators are saying, we need you guys to step it up and get, you know, bridge the gap here of where institutions are, where the majority of mom and pops are, are and uh, kind of meet people in the middle, however we can. Okay, so, so. traditionally, you'd have, you'd have a, a, a government corporation regulator would say, okay, we now agree that infrastructure is coming or will be built, or people are going to be using these blockchain cryptocurrency thingies. So we need to now regulate them. And you're coming in and saying, whoa, 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 Leave Bitcoin alone because Bitcoin will be its own thing. But let me talk about the shift network and mm. why that's where we should build the infrastructure. And like, yeah. Take, okay. Yeah. And, and like the idea being like a fewfold, right? Like the big problem in compliance and regulation is that they are centralizing functions. So traditionally, think of a financial institution, you know, like they centralize compliance, they centralize all these risk, you know, functions. And that's very dangerous to the ecosystem, right? Like if we don't think of like, how do we rethink or rebuild these compliance functions on chain, making them more open, maintaining decentralization, then regulators come in and say, we're going to force all DAOs or DEXs or wallet providers in the case of let's say Bitcoin to now build compliance departments, right? And that like doesn't make sense for how crypto functions. And you basically eliminate the point of decentralization or open systems if I have to build a compliance department in everything. Uh, so the question is like, can we do these things on chain? Can we change the way that data is transferred and understood um, and the way that like risk systems can be added in, but do that on a layer above and making it as like a defensive strategy uh, against incoming regulations for the ecosystem. That's kind of like the, the concept, if you will. I want to like bring a, a real world, not a real world example, but I want to talk about some of like the social issues that we're grappling with today. Yep. And a good example is like these vaccine type passports, right? So, yep. or vaccines in general. So you have like on the same, I understand on the same, you know, comb, and you have I, you and I have, have been dealing with our our personal experiences with COVID. But pretending that that there's just that aside, you know, you you look at uh, the problem with the not the problem with, but what what folks, especially in a lot of people that I talk to, look at is that a you have big government telling us what COVID is, what it should be, and how we need to solve it based on. Um, big government and based on kind of making decisions for the collective for everyone and not for the individual. And while though like um, our, you know, government's intentions 
especially in the local level, are, are generally good because there are friends and family, it, local civil servants. Larger, there's a lot of, you know, extortion, graft and, and bullshit and, and fallacies. And we see the lies coming out. Um, but since the vaccine was the vaccines were created by this, you know, in quote unquote, private market, if yep. a vaccine maker or if medical technology companies or if even how we looked at coronavirus from a data standpoint from day one, it was all done on a blockchain. Do you think there'd be a lot less hesitancy, hesitancy and a lot easier for governments to actually like say, like, you don't have to trust us anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think there's always a trade off, right? Like, I think as long as we can get the privacy side of this right, like you have to be able to opt out of systems, right? Like that's like the biggest thing that like we fear is like, you just force everyone into this on-chain system that like, you know, you don't have that that ability. But I do think that that's largely like, and that's largely what we're trying to do. Mm. And I think a lot of context today is like, we want to make sure that you have opt-ins at just the most basic, like primitive level to say, I can now not trust everyone involved in the system. I know what's issued to me. I know my credentials. I know who's uh, been validating those credentials. You can't take away that validation from me unless I choose to. Uh, and I think that's ultimately where we're moving. And I think that it does make things a lot more transparent and fair. Um, yes. It's really a question of like, who's the one putting down the requirements, right? Hey guys, I'm Charlie Shrem here in Las Vegas to teach some NFL players about Bitcoin. But I wanted to congratulate our sponsor Kava because Circle chose the Kava platform as one of their newest blockchains and protocols they're gonna be launching USDC on. Traditionally, USDC has only been on Ethereum and one or two other chains like Tron, but now there's a bunch of other blockchains. The Kava platform is one of them, and you can access all of those super cool DeFi high-yield opportunities that are on the Kava platform now with USDC, which we know and love. So check them out at untoldstories.link forward slash Kava. And congratulations, guys. Having Circle choose y'all as the top blockchain for USDC to be launched on is a big freaking deal. I'm going to go teach some football players about Bitcoin. Here's Courtney. I'm out. I, I kind of look at it now, uh, and you've spent a lot of time in like Peru and Amazon rainforest we've talked about. Um, so you really yep. understand it as well. When you look at the basic like family unit or human interaction, um, our family unit or a small company, small business of three people, a small business partnership, friendships, it works until you start doing things on scale. And when you do things on scale with these units, it's, it's society. It's, it's every facet of society. It's when it comes to like removing trust, when you have to trust another person or, you know, humans, especially in groups of five, will start to look for a centralized leader and it'll look to your friend groups. We always look at one person as making the plans or whatever. If you look at cryptocurrency, remove that. And like you said, you brilliantly said it, opt out. What did yeah. crypto give us? It gave us a simple ability to opt out of a financial system that we were that you're born into and have to die out to or whatever. It's crazy. Yeah. And so, that's like the coolest yeah. part. No, I was gonna bring it back to um when I was in prison, I was able to like study the black market, study the societies because there was no external communications outside right. of these small little societies did you were you able to kind of study uh societies the same way yeah and i think that like and that's like when i like i spent like yeah quite a few years like on and off in 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 the peruvian amazon and like and i went and i would continuously go back and i ended up like kind of you know helping and funding a tribe and gave them bitcoin like 2011 2012 oh, um God. but like 
the thing that had like led me there, it was just personal exploration, but it was also trying to understand like, you know, parts unknown. And what I learned from that was probably the most interesting piece is like, you know, the way in which like true social networks work at that type of, you know, primitive local level is like probably the most interesting thing. Right. And, and that's what leads to social consensus and, and, you know, very much unstructured social consensus. One of the coolest places to witness that is in environments like that. Um, because like, you know, they don't have the infrastructure that we do and yet people aggregate and coordinate and they barter and they do these just out of, you know, natural grouping. Um, of course, why do you we get fight? To scale that changes. Why do we fight when, if you have a, a unit of 10, when does that unit decide to go five on five? Where is the breakdown? I want to under, and that's one thing in crypto. We've not yeah. figured out this part. We've not figured yeah, out. The, <laughs> I mean, that, that is true. And, and that's like, I don't know, maybe it's just greed or it's some sort of power positioning that, you know, moves away for, or just a huge disbelief and, or some sort of a change or, you know, like a fork in, in consensus. Um, but I also think that that's like important for stability too, long term, right? Like, you know, if like you sometimes like as much as forks are 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 at times hostile, uh, whether it's between five or ten people or a system like Bitcoin or anything like that, um, you know, I think that they're important because it, again, it's an opt out or a change to consensus that a lot of people agree on. But I don't know the answer. To yeah, that. it's a good question. <laughs> Recently, there there was a lot of. Um a lot of regulatory heat on like something like Uniswap. So Uniswap is like decentralized software. And then you have like the centralized front front facing website, but there's anyone can download the code and run their own version of Uniswap that connects to the same liquidity pools. Yep. So Uniswap decided to delist certain tokens, but just on their front facing website, anyone can still, you can, it, there was no, de facto, no change. My question to you is these regulators are not stupid. How do they, how do they, do they look at that as like a positive symbol, symbolism from our community? Or they look at it as like a shot across the bow. It's like, we're going to still do whatever the hell we want. And we know you're stupid. I think it leans a bit more to the latter. Like, I think that like they're, yeah, by trying to prove the point is, is definitely what that accomplishes in saying, oh yeah, we'll change the front ends. But in reality, we can't change anything. That's obviously, you know, what Uniswap or, or someone equivalent is trying to say. I think the issue is that ends up backfiring because of just like the presentation or the way that it's presented. Um, you know, like regulators aren't inherently bad, but they are, you know, stuck between rocks and hard places right now. And a lot of this DeFi stuff requires a re-architecture and regulation. Like that's the honest truth is that, you know, we're going to be fitting this ecosystem into an entirely outdated framework and it's going to come with a lot of issues across everyone. Um, and I think that like, while the intention is to say we're decentralized, that like regulators aren't stupid, right? Like they understand and they can tell what decentralization theater looks like. And, and I think they're trying yes, to tell that's a everyone, good point. you know, like we're not dumb, like yeah. we know. <laughs> um, so it might work in the short term, but I think long term it it doesn't achieve the effect we're looking for. Um, and that's what I worry about a lot today, to be honest. I that's do, I do. Hedge. And just this morning, actually. I saw, I, just this morning on Bloomberg, there was an article about how the current, you know, Securities and Exchange Commission's chairman, uh, he is so knowledgeable in crypto. He taught it for three years. 
he's quoting Satoshi Nakamoto, and then he's talking about how he's going after fraud. So fraudsters in our space that are doing like very, very, very bad stuff. Now, at least we know that the regulators have the wherewithal and the education to go after those while kind of leaving the ones who are, we're just trying to uh, 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 throw shit at the wall to see what sticks. We're trying to build out software with all good intentions. So that's kind of my positive outlook on on, on yeah. the legacy of the day. I, 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 no, and I agree with you, right? Like, I think they can recognize teams that are clearly trying to scam people versus, you know, ones that are trying to build good things. But again, on the, probably on the SEC specifically, like they don't care if you're trying to build good things, if you're looking and acting like a security and trying to pretend like you're not, or you're acting like an exchange and pretending like you're not like they see that. Right. But, um, but I think we'll come out of it eventually with hopefully more clarity. Um, be seen, I guess, but we're seeing, so I, I saw that Nigeria has an insane amount of Bitcoin volume. Paxful is doing like billions of dollars. And if that's not, if that's not like a, a warning shot to a lot of other countries that are uh, being um, with their monetary policy, not fair to their citizens, it's like a scary future. You have the IMF war warning against El Salvador legal tender. It's just a crazy world. It's that amazing. We live in. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> I think it's amazing. Like, uh, and like we've done work with a lot of governments around the world, including Nigeria um, in trying to like, you know, make sure that, for example, bans aren't the, the first thing they think about and making sure that they have like sound regulation and policy. Um, I mean, but, but yeah, the growth is, uh, you know, I think the, the proof in the pudding, um, which I'm excited about. I mean, it is chaos, but, you know, as long as it ends in somewhere where everything's not illegal, I think we, you know, we win. So <laughs> I like that. I like that. You know, we I, you can start to see the the. The thread that I'm getting at here in the show mm -hmm. is that I want to understand for you from you if you think, you know, having lived in small societies and in large societies, uh, you've lived and you're from, you know, people would say even communist society, you know, Canada, right? And then you're <laughs> you're living in a free place. Um, do you think Bitcoin and and you know crypto in general is helping make our whole society more globalized and tolerant? Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that like I've always said this is like Bitcoin just forces a an educational shift. Right. And it makes people think about the most important fundamental question that I think we have, which is like, what does value mean to us? Right. And and and, you know, what's important by way of that? And like, I think that that alone is like created this kind of like social awakening just by asking like, what is money? You know, like all early Bitcoiners always would like generally start with that. Yeah. Like, what is money to you? The definition is always different to every person. Um, and I think that that's incredibly like powerful just to have people even think about that. Like, oh, what is the question? What is like, what is money? What is value? Do we have any um, historical, do we have any historical precedent where money wasn't in control of like the powers that be at the time like look at look at when the netherlands was was seceding from spain i think around that time there was like a few hundred year period where netherlands was run by just the businesses and the landowners they're they're yep. i'm curious to see and i wonder if books were written on how their currency was actually uh, uh c controlled and run I'm sure like I yeah I don't actually have too much data on that Me but neither, yeah. I mean even even in like even in these like smaller underdeveloped countries like a lot of like bartering is kind of abstracted from you know the actual like national currency right and 
it's obviously not at the same scale, but this still occurs in smaller social, uh, you know, environments today. Um, you but have not a, at, like, a, the country a group level. of 10 people that are cut yeah. off from society and they need to trade with each other. Yeah. What is their trading barter? What is their, what is their unit of account? Yeah, well, and that's the big question, right? It, it depends. So, like, in the in the Amazon is an example, right? Like, you know, people live on less than a dollar a day. Um, you know, they're trading work. They're trading. Um, they're trading uh, like pottery. whatever they have and whatever they, they yeah, a hundred percent, right? And it's like everyone agrees to a social consensus that something is worth, you know, three cans or three cups. And, you know, we'll work for two hours to get a, a peach or whatever it might be. Um, right. And I think that in, and like, it's also that like in those types of systems too, like there is no rule of law, right? Like there is no police in those systems. They're self-governing. Sure. Right. And so like, even in terms of like, you know, respect and what you do and not do inside of those social systems, both from a self-functioning perspective is also different. Right. Um, yeah. You don't an want interesting to be communicated. There's no well, law, exactly yeah. right, and yeah, and like you don't want to steal because that's the you know the worst thing that you could do in systems like that. And so um, social consensus, you know, the the, the frameworks kind of change, yeah. um, but they work; they still function, right? Um, where, totally different. Where does where do we see society like in thirty years from now in a in an all crypto metaverse world? Uh, I, mean, I <laughs> no. What's your answer? I mean, like, I think if we can get to a crypto metaverse world at all, I think that'll be interesting. Um, I feel like we're just like going down this really uncomfortable, like regulatory fitting things into worlds and conditions that don't make sense. Um, but I You're think not if the we first can person get to, to tell that, me that. Like, yeah, like, I think we're I think we're kind of like losing on the regulatory adaptation front in like this digital world is clearly encompassing everything. And we're kind of, you know, we're, it's like a cloud going over everyone, but like, we just can't quite figure it out. You know? Um, I don't know. I don't want to say I'm bearish on the future, but um, you know, humans we're going to be definitely going through some uncomfortable times and it could be dozens of years, maybe even hundreds of years of, yeah. of a societal shift. And it's, yeah. it's positive and scary. What's the travel rule? It seems like to me yeah. over the past year, that has been the one fear in across our whole industry. And is it, who's, yeah. what government is running that? Yeah, so no government. So it is a collection. So basically intergovernmental organizations, the OECD is one on policy, the Financial Action Task Force is effectively another policy um organization so it is ran by you know 36 to 40 countries it, it encompasses about 200 countries and what they do as these organizations is they try to set a standard which is really the policy that then gets added into regulations in every country in the world and so the incentive to make sure all countries uh follow kyc requirements which is what the financial action task force does um is to basically uh, put countries on gray lists or blacklists for non-compliance so you force everyone into like this standardization framework uh through these intergovernmental organizations Goodbye, opt out yeah yeah so <laughs> i mean like within reason right and um and like i get the like I don't agree with the way that the travel rule was brought down. We kind of had like, you know, headwinds to uh, like three years ago 
like realizing that this would probably be the first thing that they threw on the space. Of course they did. And like what the travel rule is, is it actually comes from SWIFT. It comes from the traditional financial system. Oh. And so, yeah. And so like when you think about SWIFT, I'm moving a wire from me to you, Charlie. You know, I got to type in Charlie Shram. This is your bank account number. You know, please bank send to Charlie's bank account. Yeah. Um, and so like the travel rule is taking Charlie's identity information, your account number, and then routing payments from myself to you. But the reason why it's there isn't for regulation. It's because in Swift, there's no public addresses and private addresses. There's no way of coordinating Joseph and Charlie without adding this identity information, right? So we use identity information in a traditional financial system to move payments. Does that kind of, if that kind of makes sense? It completely makes sense. And there's no centralized, there's no central like clearing like ledger. database ledger yeah, yeah. That's what it does yeah so there's no way of doing this like coordination and discovery that blockchains are designed for and so um they basically said we're going to take that even though it makes no sense to how bitcoin or ether you know works and we're going to just like throw it on you guys as an industry to require this identity information to now be transmitted with every deposit and withdrawal from every exchange um and now what they're talking about is saying, we're going to expand that definition to DeFi, to DAOs. We're going oh, to wow. start introducing this like compliance requirements into the decentralized finance and, and smart contract arena as well. Um, which is like, this is just totally reconfiguring how the space works today. Uh, it changes would, pretty much everything. How would shift, you know, how would shift and, and some of the other blockchains, how would you guys uh, fix that problem? Yeah. Or make so, it possible. So the way that we did this with Shift was to say, like, we have effectively this like data side chain now that can work across any type of protocol, any type of business, any type of public and private address system, if you will, any type of smart contract. So what we do is we say Shift is effectively the discovery and coordination smart contract layer allows, you know, let's say Binance, who's doing a withdrawal to another user. And let's say that user's on Bitfinex. Binance can now write attestations, these data transactions into Shift, effectively saying, I'm Binance, I have a user, they're about to do a withdrawal. Who around the world has information on this receiving deposit address? And then let's say Bitfinex says, oh, I actually have information on that address. They actually can in use smart contracts to uh, mediate that relationship between oh, each cool. other and coordinate, if that makes sense. It's like it's like so intermediary it's, it's a, banks as well in real time. It's like cause exactly. all corresponding banks, intermediary banks, clearinghouse banks, corporate treasury banks. It's all of it kind of working. Oh, that's very cool. Exactly. And then it allows them to, to like basically communicate, determine their rules, requirements, jurisdictional you know, uh, needs, privacy requirements. It allows users to opt into that in GDPR for privacy reasons. And then it starts to build this really interesting system upon it as we kind of start coordinating uh, through this decentralized ledger. And how did um, you keep it decentralized? Yeah, so the so basically those smart contracts operate across multiple networks simultaneously. Uh, so Shift as a federated system, uh, which was a, a design that was taken from the Liquid Network and RSK sure. uh, as kind of these like mediated uh, distributed systems. You use the roots um, of Bitcoin for this too. Yeah, exactly. So we're working on writing proofs into Bitcoin. Um, those proofs work across Ethereum as well and other chains. And so those chains keep the federation honest. 
Um, and then these, these transactions or these data attestations occur on shift, they occur on Ethereum for DeFi projects. Uh, and so they can work, you know, cross networks as a way to make sure we have this kind of business coordination compliance layer for everyone that isn't forcing layer ones into compliance requirements. Um, so that's kind of the, the approach, if you will. I love it. I love yeah. it. And I know, and so like the fact of the matter is, if we have infrastructure being able to be built off of that, where you have the Federation not putting its own will in front of the integrity of the system itself. So if a, a country who's part of the Federation comes along and says, hey, we want to blacklist this or do something like that or do something that's not with the integrity of the system itself uh, or not through within the rules, like the mediation rules of the protocol or the system, then the whole yep. system breaks. So yep. it, it keeps everyone like... I love it. And you understand honest. that honest. Yeah. it's it's incentivizing yeah. honesty. It brings it back to its root. It's beautiful. I love it. Absolutely. And then it works across everyone. So financial, like we're noticing financial institutions say, listen, compliance lets us play into the ecosystem. Right. And so the, the travel rule is good, not for our crypto space only, but for expanding the adoption rate. Because mm -hmm. now we say we've solved compliance. Financial institutions can play. Right, they can start working with other parties inside of uh, the ecosystem, um, and that like kind of trend we're noticing across the board too. So DeFi as well, institutionally, and, and other use cases. So, Joe, take you, thank you so much for taking the time today and, and coming on Untold Stories and and giving us uh, uh, so much in in short such a short amount of time, so much like long term life bullishness or bearishness, how you kind of look at it. But I think bullishness. We're moving to a more digital metaverse society and, and building the infrastructure to to keep us free right like how yep. no one's going to protect our freedoms and liberties except ourselves i go to sleep at night knowing that the technology is allowing us to do so thank thanks to satoshi and, and a lot of the early early people and stuff like that so so thanks to you and and stay healthy and um thank you and i'll talk to you soon sounds great charlie thanks for having me 